Well, as you know, you've seen the billboards and the banners around town. We're getting ready to launch Pursuit Preschool and Child Care September 8th. That's been a vision that God has placed in my heart for a number of years. And uh, we believe really as part of our mission as a community of believers, not just to have the church open for a 90-minute or a, or a, or a two-hour segment on a Sunday morning, but instead to have a, have a full-service facility that's ministering to families in this community all throughout the week. And so starting September 8th, we're going to take a step in that direction, and uh, we're really believing that God is going to send the right families uh, at the right time, and already several dozen families and kids are signed up for September 8th. And so if you're here today and your kid is not already signed up and you're interested in that or you have a friend or a family member who may be interested in childcare or preschool, please let us know. We'd love to have them a part of what God is doing here uh, in this community and uh, really believe that God is going to put his success on this uh, particular initiative. Hey, this morning, uh, I'm going to talk about two concepts uh, that are mentioned a lot, not just in this church, but I think in Christianity in general, and I want to draw your attention to what I hope is a proper understanding and balance of our primary mission here in life. You know, as, as, as a church, we understand, and, and I've said this before, but, but let me remind you, the church doesn't primarily exist for us, it doesn't primarily exist for outsiders, it primarily exists for him. The mission and the purpose of the church is to gather and to glorify Jesus. And in doing so, when Jesus is lifted up, what does he do? He draws all people unto himself. And I think sometimes what we have done is we've gotten the carriage in front of the horse. Uh, we have tried to draw people and then glorify Jesus if we have enough time at the end of our packed services. And if we can create a church whose primary mission is to minister unto him, I believe that God is going to draw the right people at the right time to this house to be transformed into his image and into his glory. It doesn't mean that the church doesn't minister to us. It doesn't mean that the church doesn't minister to those who are outside. It means our primary responsibility is to gaze upon and be transformed transformed by the beauty of the Lord. And David says it this way in the book of Psalms. He says, one thing have I sought, one thing have I desired, watch, to dwell in the house of the Lord and then to gaze upon his beauty. A number of years ago, I had the privilege of uh, traveling to Paris, France to preach at some of our network churches uh, over there and, and, and see what God is doing on the European continent. It was my first time in Paris. And uh, while we were there for a number of days, we had a break in between preaching and teaching and on that day, we visited the Louvre, which is their kind of famous, world-famous art museum, maybe, maybe the most famous museum in all of history. And it's got paintings and artwork that span thousands of years, civilizations, some of which don't even exist today. It's got things like the Mona Lisa and others. I mean, it's multiple stories. It takes three, four days, full day, just to experience the different art exhibits. And I think we had one day, we're trying to pack everything in. I'm not like an art museum guy. I don't travel the world like looking for art museums to go to, but when I was in Paris, I felt like I had to do this just for the experience. And if you've ever been like in a tour group, you know like the in-ear devices that people have where a tour group is leading them and, and uh, they're speaking the language of that group and they're showing them all the different wings and all the different paintings and all the different sculptures and tapestries that represent culture and civilization. And uh, I remember we were in this tour group and we had this, of course, this English-speaking guide and all of us have these earpieces and we're walking through the museum 
and uh, we are hearing a description of some of the exhibits that we're seeing, and not everything is making sense to me, but I'm trying to take it in as much as possible. I'm moved by what I'm seeing. And there's this guy, uh, probably similar age to me, in the tour group who was on his phone, his iPhone. And, and I got an iPhone too, I'm not opposed to it, but the entire tour, he's playing a game on his iPhone. And there's like probably 24, 25 of us in this tour group, and everybody's engaged, everybody's taking pictures, they're taking it all in, they're asking questions, and there's this guy just walking, staring at his phone. And about like halfway through the tour group, the, 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 the tour, I, I kid you not, he looks up at his dad, and he goes, Dad, I'm bored. Um, and I had this like spiritual moment. And I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and he said, man, that's how so many people are in church today. Gathered to gaze upon beauty, but bored with a God they barely know. God, I'm bored today. <laughs> I don't know. It just didn't minister to me today. I didn't catch it today. I wasn't feeling it today. And like the most beautiful treasure in all of eternity has been deposited in this temple. And as we gather to gaze upon his beauty, it's an opportunity to be transformed into his image. We wonder where our breakthrough is, but we're scrolling social media all during search. And my heart for you and for me this morning is to recognize what we have been invited into, to dwell in his house and to gaze upon his beauty. Now, I think sometimes there's messages that get preached that outline a lot of different prescriptive behavior. Things that you need to do in order to live a better life or have a happier life or have a better calling or a brighter destiny. And I'm not opposed necessarily to preaching on those topics. I think some of them could even be biblical. But the problem is if we don't first center ourselves around gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, then what you will do is you will grow in your mind but die in your heart. You'll have all the right rules and regulations and steps and principles and you'll be able to preach it and repeat it even better than me. But until you have an inflamed heart, by gazing upon the beauty of the Lord, my fear is that you'll miss out on truly your responsibility in life. Friend, you have a calling and you have a responsibility. And the way that you steward your responsibility sets the framework for how you will steward your calling. Don't make an idol out of your calling and then miss out on your responsibility. You do the dishes. Not because you're called to do the dishes, but because you're a part of the family. I may not be called to change diapers, but it's a portion of my responsibility as a father. And the way that I steward my responsibility is what prepares me for my calling. And I can tell you how many messages I've preached and I've heard where we talk about things like calling and destiny and figuring out what our calling is. And just about every third meeting I schedule here at the church, somebody wants to talk about or verbalize their frustration of trying to figure out what they're called to. And can I just put you at ease for a moment this morning, friend? You are not strong enough to screw up what God has called you to. His calling and his election is sure. In fact, scripture says his calling and his gifting is irrevocable and without repentance. If Israel couldn't miss out on their calling, friend, you can't miss out on yours. Your calling is going to happen. It's going to be okay. 
But if all you ever focus on is the outcome and miss your responsibility for the process, you'll live your whole life making an idol out of where you want to go, but never actually being able to go there. And so sometimes we idolize things like my personal calling or my personal destiny or my personal mission. And let me share with you from Scripture this morning what you're responsible for. The Apostle Peter in 1 Peter 2 and verse 2, he says this, Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation. 2 Peter 3 and verse 18, But grow in the grace and the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Colossians 1 and verse 10, So that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in the knowledge of of God. Psalm 92 and verse 12, the righteous will flourish like a palm tree. They will grow like a cedar of Lebanon. Uh, Ephesians 4 and verse 15, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is Christ. Essentially this, friend, my responsibility is to grow. And as soon as I am done growing, I am done giving God something that he can work with. I think a lot of us pray for more of God. And I think most of the time God is asking for more of us. You don't graduate out of this thing called spiritual growth. It doesn't happen when you get a degree. It doesn't happen when you memorize a scripture. It doesn't happen when you take a Sunday school class. It doesn't happen when you have perfect attendance at a church. You never graduate out of your need for spiritual growth. And all over scripture, both Old Testament and New Testament, the responsibility on God's covenant people is that they will grow. Do you know that in this room today, there are literally hundreds of unique callings. Some are called as teachers, craftsmen, homemakers, administrators, healthcare professionals, tech workers, artists, business owners, missionaries, pastors, retail employees, and hundreds more. But what unites us as believers isn't our callings, it's our responsibility. See, no matter what I'm called to, I share a common responsibility with every believer on earth. It's my time to grow. But friend, if you serve a God who is only interested in your outcome, you will never find yourself falling in love with process. See, watch how God works. We pray for resource which is an outcome, but God gives us a job, which is a process. We pray for a relationship, which is an outcome, but God invites us into personal development, which is a process. See, we pray for peace, which is an outcome, but God makes us an agent of healing or justice as a process. We pray for revival as an outcome. God invites us into repentance as a process. We pray for outcomes, but we serve a God who works in process. And before every great awakening is a rude awakening by which God reminds us that in order to get from here to there, it's going to require us to grow. You ever catch yourself praying prayers and then like the Lord responds to you? You sure you want that? Because it's going to require you to grow. The prophet Isaiah says it this way in Isaiah 54 and verse 2. Enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes. Pastor Jasmine, before she left, gave me a, 
a, a prophetic word, and, and I asked her this week if I could share it with the church, but I think it matches nicely with what I'm trying to communicate this morning. She said, Russell, this is an ox season for the leaders of the house. It's time to put your hand to the plow. She said this, I saw Pastor Russell with a flame on his head, and he put his hand to the plow. He was blazing a trail for others. Some tried to plow without a flame, and it was more difficult for them. The flame was doing the work for Pastor Russell and for those who were burning. This is a moment to advance, not retreat. Friend, this is a moment for the church. Not this church, not just this church, but the church. This is a moment for the church to find her voice, to find her courage, to find her boldness, to find her witness, to show up and keep showing up because we believe in a God who is still at work today. Do you know that God's power has not somehow diminished today 2,000 years after the canon of Scripture has been closed? It's not like God has been diminishing in strength or power. Like now he's a frail old man up in heaven who's like really far removed from the cry of his people. No, when we invoke the name of Jesus, the full force of heaven shows up just in an instant. So for us, we recognize that this is a season by which God has given us a picture of an outcome but even more importantly, invited us to a process. You ever try to build something, grow something, do something, anything in life that somebody else has done, and in your mind, you have a picture of the outcome. Like, oh, I saw this on Pinterest. It's going to be really easy. <laughs> oh, no, I saw this on, on, on the Internet. No, this is going to be what it looks like when it's done. And then all of a sudden, you engage in the process. And by the time that you get done, what you thought it looked like actually looks completely different. But you still have a love or affinity towards it because it involved your sweat, blood, and tears in the process to get to the outcome. And that's what it looks like to follow Jesus. You're like, man, God has called me to do great things. And then he invites you into a servant-type role. And you're like, God, this is not what I pictured in my mind. And he's like, yeah, that's why you don't make any graven images. That's why it's one of the Ten Commandments. Because you paint in your own mind what your outcome looks like and then curse the process that God invites you into. Well, I thought God was going to put me on a stage. No, he put you in a prayer room. Well, I thought God was going to elevate my gifting. No, he humbled you under his mighty hand. Now, I thought my outcome would look one way, but my process determined that it was going to look another way. But as long as I'll commit to the process, I promise you, you'll end up falling in love with whatever the outcome is. We serve a God of process, even though most of our prayers are outcome-oriented. This morning, I want to introduce to you some elements some ingredients. I know what you're thinking. Russell, we didn't know you cooked, and I don't. <laughs> However, I want to present to you some ingredients this morning. And I want to make some spiritual application to the ingredients that I have with me on stage today. As we look at what it looks like to have all of the right ingredients for growth in our life. Now, I don't know how to make cookies myself. Again, I'm, I'm not too much of a chef, but I did Google it. And so if Google is wrong, you can correct the Internet later. But what I was told was that it required some flour, some baking powder, some eggs, some butter, some sugar. And eventually it results in something that looks similar to this. Now, I want to encourage you today as we look through the ingredients of growth 
to ask yourself, what are the ingredients that God would be asking me to mix together in this season to produce the outcome that I'm praying for? I think the first ingredient for growth that I have here on my right, your left, is flour. Maybe the most important. It's a stabilizer. It holds the cookie together. It provides it with structure. When I think about flour, I think about the Word of God. And Paul says in Hebrews 4 and verse 12, For the Word of God is living and powerful, is sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, in fact, is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Jesus said it this way in Matthew 4 and 4, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friend, can I rewrite that verse for 2020? Man shall not live by social media alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by political opinion alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by secular sociology alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Man shall not live by breaking news alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Friend, what I feast on becomes my true ideological foundation for what I build my life on. And if you put garbage in, eventually you'll have garbage out. What I've found is that Scripture was on to something. What it encouraged us to hide this word in our heart that we may not sin against Him. You know, when, not just when you get into the word, but when the word gets into you. It becomes a sword in your life to help discern between right and wrong true and false, which way I should go, the type of attitude I should have while I'm on this journey, when the Word of God in your life becomes a weapon of your warfare, it allows you to distinguish between what sounds good and what is actually God. Do you know that not everything that sounds good is God? And sometimes we got this temptation in our culture to abandon or misappropriate scripture in hopes of maybe being more culturally relevant. And can I tell you the most relevant thing in our world today still remains the word of God. The word of God is not cake for special occasions. It is bread for daily use. I'm not here to subscribe to you some sort of Bible reading plan and how you figure those types of things out, what works best for your schedule. Some people got to read in the morning. Others got to read at night. Others got to read every other day in some sort of pattern. Listen, whatever works for you ends up being the best type of medicine you could take. But I'm telling you, it has never been more important to be anchored in the Word. Let me tell you. Let me tell you about the Word. Not everything in Scripture is convenient. Oh, it calls out my sin. It, it rebukes my unbelief. It judges my thoughts. It confronts my values. And it encourages my faith. And it restores my hope, and it clarifies my vision, and it structures my life. It's not that you can't be on social media. It's not that you can't have a political opinion. It means that if those things are the primary diet, you're headed in the wrong direction. Friend, do you know that you can be right about politics and wrong about Christ? You can win all the arguments on social media and still get everything wrong about Jesus. But when I get it right about Jesus, it gives me the necessary grace to occasionally be wrong and still survive on a lot of other platforms. For some of you in here today, the word has been used as a weapon to wound 
instead of an ointment to heal. But can I tell you, friend, don't allow the wrong that others have taught to keep you from the truth of Jesus that sets people free. Friend, let me give you a warning. If you starve yourself of the word in this season, you will find yourself discipled in the ways of the world, having gained the approval of the crowds, but lacking the approval of the Father. And for me, I'm living for one thing, and it will cost me the world, but in turn, we will gain eternity. You can mix all these ingredients right, but if you forget the flour, you don't have much of a cookie at all. <laughs> you can overdose the chocolate chips. If you got a demon, you could throw in raisins. <laughs> you might put in a little too much salt. It tastes a little weird. But if you don't have flour, friend, you're in trouble. It's not only the word of God that you need alive and active in your life. It's something that Google calls a rising agent. You need something like baking powder or baking soda. It acts as the leaven, which ultimately helps the dough rise. When I think about flour, I think about the foundation of the Word of God. But when I think about baking powder or baking soda, I think about the Spirit of God. If you get the Word of God without the Spirit of God, you will dry up. But if you get the Spirit of God without the Word of God, you're going to blow up. But when you get the Word of God and you marry it to the Spirit of God, you grow up. And what we want to do in this environment is we want to preach the Word, teach the Word, sing the Word. But I also want to come back to this idea that if you get all the Word and none of the Spirit, you're twice the son of the devil that you were before. That's what Jesus says. Can I tell you, I got a word in my heart for you today. In this environment, you don't have to choose. And sometimes as charismatics, we feel like we've got to choose. Man, I can go to that church, it's really boring and it's dry, but man, I know that they love the word. And sometimes for us as charismatics, it's like, man, I just want to be in that place that's fire and I get them Holy Spirit goosebumps every day and I just, I just really want to be in that environment where it feels like revival all the time. But what if we could create an environment where we marry an honor for the word and a love for the spirit? And in doing so, it creates transformation in your life. You don't have to choose between a boring church that teaches the word or an exciting church that lacks the word. In this place, we can have both if we understand that they're both necessary ingredients, a part of the process that's leading us to the outcome. For us, we understand that we need a rising agent in our life. In John 14, verse 26, Jesus says this, But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things, and he will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. And do you know today that a helper has been sent on behalf of your father? He is the primary teacher who causes you to remember everything Jesus has said about your life and your future. And friend, if we have ever needed an outpouring of God's spirit, 
it's today. Watch what Paul says in Galatians 4 and verse 6. He says, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts by which we can cry out, now Abba, Father. The spirit of God which causes us to come alive. Friend, I can teach until I am blue in the face, but when a church raises her sails and catches the wind of revival, nothing can stop her. And I'm here to tell you today, the wind of the spirit is blowing in the northwest. And it's our job as a church to raise the sails of the church and catch the wind of his spirit. If people say, Pastor, why do you preach with so much passion? <laughs> it's because I envision my kids sitting on the last row, giving God one last chance. And I'm keenly aware that there are sons and daughters in this place today giving God one last chance. And I'm telling you, friend, if you will raise your sails once again, you can catch what God has always designed you to catch. And when you get, when you get touched by His Spirit, man, when you get stirred by the Spirit of God, when something comes alive inside of you, it causes you to have commitment where there's been none. It causes you to have appreciation for process where there's been none. Friend, when you catch the wind of his spirit, something begins to rise inside of you. It's not just the foundation of his word or the rising agent of his spirit. But it's something the internet calls a binding agent. The binding agent is often a liquid in the recipe that holds the cookie together. And most of the time, it's something like eggs. I think about the necessity of the Word of God, the importance of the Spirit of God. And then I think about the binding agent like the community of God. Watch what the Apostle John says in 1 John 1 and verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his Son, purifies us from all sin. Friend, let me say this to you again. The Apostle John, who's apostolically overseeing the churches of Asia Minor, after he finally gets off the island of Patmos, he says to the church this, it's not enough for you just to have Jesus. You also need one another. And Frank, can I tell you, sometimes in an effort to sound super spiritual, we have done damage to the bride of Christ in an effort to sound better than our common fellow believer. Well, I just need Jesus in this season. Yet John says, you actually need the fellowship of the believers as well. Let me say something to you this morning, but hear my heart. If you are anti-church, you are anti-Christ. Fred, hear me, hear me. You don't get me without my bride. You don't get to be friends with Russell without being friends with Maria. You don't get to be close with me, but hate the person that I'm married to. And sometimes in an effort to sound really spiritual, we've said things like, all I need is Jesus, but I'm kind of over this whole church thing. Friend, the church is his bride. And the bridegroom is coming back, not for a collection of individuals, but for a church, a community, people transformed by his beauty and his presence. And the apostle John is reminding the churches in Asia Minor, he says, oh, you got to have fellowship with one another. And when you do, the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. Friend, if we don't stick together, there ain't no hope for the hereafter. The only time in all of scripture that the father leaves his sheep is to go after the one who has gone astray. 
That should communicate to you the value of sticking together. It's not just the community of God. But you don't get a good cookie without some fat. <laughs> the fat controls the consistency of the cookie. Most of the time, it's something like butter. I think about fat like I think about resource. Paul says in Philippians 4 and 19, And this same God who takes care of me will supply all of your needs from his glorious riches, which have been given to us in Christ Jesus. Not some of your needs, not just your financial needs, not just your mental needs, not just your emotional or relational needs, but my God will supply all of your needs. And a God who can do that is a God who we can trust with the resources of our life. He owns all the cattle on all the hills. He's got more than enough for you and me. The problem is not a lack of resource. It's a lack of faith in our life to believe that God is actually as good as the scripture says he is. I dare you to believe that we serve a God that is as good as the Bible says he is. And when you get caught up into his goodness, man, it changes the way that you worship changes the way that you believe. I'm almost done this morning. It's not just the Word of God as the flower. It's not just the Spirit of God as the rising agent. It's not just the community of God as the binding agent. It's not just the fat of the resource of God. It's also the sugar. And to me, when I think about sugar, I think about the gifting of God. Because a cookie without sugar isn't worth the time it took to make. In 1 Corinthians 12 and verse 7, Paul says this, But to each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. To each one. That means when I put my faith in Christ Jesus, God deposited something of eternal value in my heart and in my life, and it is for the common good. God has put His Spirit inside of you for this time, for this season, for this community, for your neighbors, for your family, for your sphere of influence, for your work environment. He has put his gifting in your life for this very moment. But you know what, friend? None of these ingredients on this stage today stand alone as meals. You're not going to go home for lunch today and just have a cup of flour and then go to sleep. None of these function as attractive meals in and of themselves. But when they are combined, and not just combined, but then submitted to the right environment at the right time with the right amount of heat and pressure, it produces something that you actually want to eat. And I think sometimes our disdain for the process is we don't see the cookie that God is baking. God, I don't really like flour. He said, well, neither do I. It's not just about the flour. It's about adding the ingredients one to another until they come together to form a spiritual maturity in your life. Well, I don't want raw eggs and a raw stick of butter and just a pound of sugar. It doesn't sound healthy. It's not. But together, when it's combined, it can make something beautiful. Now, let me end here. You don't just need the Word of God as the foundation of your life or the Spirit of God as the rising agent in your life or the community of God as the binding agent of your life or to fat as the resource of God in your life, or to sugar as the gifting of God in your life. You also need an oven to put it in. I think about an oven, I think about the environment of God. 
And after all of the ingredients are mixed together, it goes in the oven. Why? Because the environment of the oven will take the ingredients of the cook and produce a meal for the person. Friend, environments are the best discipler of people. You go into a Walmart today on your way home from church. You're not going to be surprised to find people walking in their bathrobes while wearing Crocs. There is something about the environment of a Walmart that communicates a standard by which people follow. Now, if you were to go to a high-end luxury boutique on your way home, probably not appropriate to wear a bathrobe and Crocs. Why? Do they have a sign on the wall that says no bathrobes or Crocs? It is something about the environment that communicates an intangible value that helps disciple people. Now, friend, watch this. Watch. I love the way that Jesus invites people into discipleship. He says profound things like this. Come, follow me. There isn't a program. There isn't a new level to attain. There isn't a certificate you receive. There's a command. Come, follow me. It can't just be explained on paper. It can't just be experienced online. It can't just be educated in a classroom. It is summed up in the three most important words of Scripture. Come, follow me. Can I be honest? This right here is where a lot of people decide that serving Jesus isn't for them. It was easier to admire at a distance, but I'm not sure I want to follow up close. Remember Nathaniel in John 1? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip responds, come and see. What's pursuit like? Come and see. What's this whole Jesus thing about? Come and see. I don't know if I'll fit in. Come and see. The most powerful thing you have as a believer is an invitation. Come and see. And can, can I be honest? Sometimes we feel this pressure to take people from unsaved to super discipled in one interaction. But the more I follow Jesus, the more I recognize that I am daily transformed as a byproduct of my daily commitment to the process. Still dealing with addiction? Pursuit's the right place for you to belong. Still sleeping with your girlfriend? Pursuit's the right place for you to belong. Still fighting loneliness or anxiety? Pursuit's the right place for you to belong. Still walking through anger and depression, pursuit is the right place for you to belong. Because when you make a commitment to come and see, what you see impacts who you become. The problem is people giving up prior to the transformation being complete. This place is an oven, and it's cooking the ingredients of your life. And you must resist the temptation to bail on your faith when the temperature gets turned up. Oh, it's hot right now. It's stressful right now. Everybody's got an opinion right now. There's conflict right now. There's hurt right now. There's disappointment right now. But I'm committed to the process because I know that there are some things in my life that won't ever be developed without a little heat.
friend, commit to the process. For God is building something of immense value in your life. And if you won't give up on the process, what you will see is the goodness of God in the outcome. Would you stand with me as we close this morning? Some of you are here today and you feel like, man, I thought life would look different by now. I'd be in a different place than I am by now. Feeling the pressure of the walls of life seemingly closing in on you. I want to encourage you today that God has seen your end from your beginning. And if he's faithful to your process, friend, you ought to be faithful to his. Father, we pray today for a spirit of hope and encouragement to be upon your people. God, I don't want to give up. I know that you're mixing the ingredients together for my good. I know sometimes the outcome looks different when we get there than we thought it would be. But God, we're going to trust you today. We're going to trust you today with the ingredients of our life. We're going to mix them together. We're going to submit them to the environment of God. And we're going to believe that the one who holds my future, empowers my present, and forgives my past knows exactly what he's doing with this season of my life. God, I pray for your help. God, I pray for your hope that you would do what only you can in our lives. And we commit from this day forward to trust you in a fresh way and in a deeper way with the ingredients of our life. And to God be the glory, both now and forever. In Jesus' name, come on, all God's people said, amen, amen. Thanks so much for joining us for church today. We're going to be back here tonight, 6 p.m. for Revival Night. You're more than invited if you could come. If not, we're going to see you next week, 11 a.m., right here at The Pursuit. Invite a friend. Let them know about what Jesus is doing in the Northwest. God bless. We love you guys. We'll see a lot of you very soon. God bless.